0: Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to She Became Visible. I am Renee Steelman, your host for the show. The focus of She Became Visible is to highlight women of all ages who have stood up and declared themselves visible, worthwhile, and declared their purpose on Earth through their own role descriptions and not through someone else's. And I can't think of anyone that fulfills that description better than my guest today. So let me give you a little bit of background on Chandler. Um, we moved to Vancouver, Washington in 2007, which if any of you are familiar with the Pacific Northwest, the Columbia River separates Oregon from Washington. And the be- one of the beautiful things about the state of Oregon, and I can't think of a lot besides their natural beauty, but other than that, Um, is the fact that they don't have a sales tax, right? Um, One of the nice things about the state of Washington is they don't have a property tax. So Vancouver, Washington is literally on the Columbia River and is truly the bedroom community for people who live in the Portland vicinity, somewhere around some of the other areas that outlie Portland so for a long time we lived in oregon and or we lived in vancouver and then my husband worked in oregon so what people do is they cross the bridge they shop in oregon to avoid the sales tax and then they live in washington state to avoid the high property taxes which meant that housing was cheaper in washington than it was in oregon so when we bought our very first little home in 1976 Uh, It was about $30,000 less to live in Washington state. Now, I think that that has kind of evened out. And I don't think there's that much of a discrepancy any longer. Um, But we so we we lived in Vancouver, Washington for a, a while, and then we ended up moving back to Oregon, we spent most of our marriage and raising our children in the state of Oregon. But in 2007, we moved back to Washington State in Vancouver. And the ward that we belonged to, the Roberson family was in our ward. And we just clicked with Chandler's mom and dad and there were two or three other couples that we just became a little gang. And we hung out together and we date nighted together. And I was immediately put into the young women's program. I was teaching the beehives, which if any of you are listening and you're not members of the church, that's the 12 year old little girls that have just come into the program. And then I think at the time, Chandler will have to correct me, uh, Chandler was, I think, a my maid at that time. So she was in the class right above me. So I didn't actually work with her one-on-one, but I observed her because there were a lot of group activities for all of the women ages 12 to 18 that were in what they call the young women program. And I was also close friends with her best friends, mom and dad. And so I knew the friends of Chandler and uh, that's your book, Chandler. That's the name of your next book, Friends of Chandler. But uh, anyway, so I have a little bit of a background, but because um, I wasn't actually teaching Chandler and she was a couple years older uh, than the kids that I was working with, I kind of watched her from afar. And then we ended up moving um, to a different, a different uh, ward after After Chandler became a young adult. So she'll have to clarify that that for me. But anyway, I've watched her and I I watched her Mormon stories. I'm so impressed with this young woman's vulnerability and her bravery. And I want to start out by just describing a little bit about um, how we as women have been socialized, are still a little bit socialized, but it's actually getting better. There's a wonderful book out there. If any of you are familiar with um, Kristen Neff, Dr. Kristen Neff, her book, Fierce Self-Compassion, is a wonderful book. And when she talks about standing strong, she says, as women, we've unconsciously internalized the message from our culture that we are the weaker sex, helpless maidens, who need a big, strong man to save us. For too long, we've been taught to value dependence over independence, to be attractive and sexy, not as a way of expressing ourselves, but as a means to attract a man who can protect us. We don't need men to protect us. We need to protect ourselves. Women are strong. We handle the pain of childbearing. We hold families together and skillfully navigate interpersonal conflict and adversity. But until we learn how to stand up for ourselves with the same fierce energy we use to care for others, our ability to take on the world's big challenges will remain limited. And I think there are so many beautiful quotes out there from um, just amazing strong women who I hold up as mentors, prophetesses, um, just teachers. And there, there are so many uh, words of wisdom. And one of the things that Dr. Neff points out is that we need to draw boundaries. And I think Chandler's stories are gonna show how she drew her boundaries. Uh, Dr. Neff says fierce protective energy empowers us to draw clear boundaries and say, no. Women are socialized to be giving accommodating and many of us believe that this is what gives us value that people won't like us if we say no so let me bring chandler on right now and she's going to tell you a few of her stories of when she said no okay there she is Hello. hello how are you
1: i'm doing great i'm so happy to be here
0: Well, I'm so pleased to have you on here. And you'll have to go back and correct some of my timeline. Um, Where were you age-wise in 2007, 2008? How old would you have been?
1: Good question. 2007,
0: 2008. I mean, I guess it's 12 and 13 is beehives. 14, 15 Mm -hmm. is my maids. Would you have been a my maid? So I think
1: I would have been, yeah, I think I would have been a my maid. Okay, point, okay.
0: Yeah. And our children um, our children attended, no, there our children were grown by the time we moved to Vancouver. So you were oh, you were at a high school. You were very active in your high school. Talk a little bit about that. You were not a a little shrinking flower over in the corner. You had a great high school life, right?
1: Yeah, I loved high school honestly. I mean, I did dance team pretty much the entire time. Um, And I think that was the most like sports thing that I was active in. Uh, But I was pretty good friends with pretty much everyone in my grade. Um, I, I'm trying to think, I mean, I did a dance thing. So there was a dance class there that was different from dance team. And I taught with that class with some of the teachers that did that as well. Um, So that was really fun. And then I also did dance outside of my high school. So it was just a lot of dance, but uh, that was very involved for high school there was a lot of that
0: right so dance was your sport and Mm -hmm. and and it allowed you to get involved in all kinds of different high school activities right uh so if you know you're there's 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 representing the school in competition, state competition. Mm-hmm. There's representing uh, the dance club at different other sporting events. Right. Were you guys involved yep. with football games, basketball games and things like that? Yeah. Yep. So, sports. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it got you. Like you said, your friendship group was outside of just the dance group because you served and interacted with all of the other kids. What you know, whatever else was going on at the high school. And so that's what I remembered. I just remembered how active you were and how happy you were. What would you say your experience was like in young women's?
1: You know, I honestly, at the time, I think especially I would have just said I loved it. It was the best. Like I looked forward to it Um, because all my a lot of my friends were there. So I think that's what I looked forward to. And I believed in it at the time. So I thought I'm doing a good thing. So definitely had a lot of positive feelings about it at the time. Um, Obviously, looking back, I see it a little bit differently. I think there was a lot I was experiencing that I didn't have the words to express. Mm. Um, I remember there being a lot of lessons that, uh, depending on what it was about, I remember we had a really big group lesson about uh, same-sex marriage. And I remember Mm. at the time, you know, like, really inside feeling a certain way about it, but not wanting to be the one that got up or left or something and then having a lot of guilt about that later on so I think I really enjoyed the friendships that were there and the uh I don't know I felt like I was doing something good um so I I enjoyed it I think I enjoyed it at the time
0: now Um, did you work did you work on your medallion
1: so I did work on the medallion but I had this weird thing where I didn't I didn't want to do it just because it was expected of me and like, just to check something off and have a party. So I finished all of the things that I was supposed to do, like on my own time and did it personally, but never wanted recognition for it. So I never officially got it. Uh, But it was like a private thing for me, which is so ridiculous now, but um, I had weird feelings about it.
0: (laughs) Isn't that amazing. I look back now and I see where my perfectionism got in the way of so many things because i was a and i still am and it's a a critical trait that i am trying to work on i was such a black and white person that when my girls Mm -hmm. were going through the program um i i said no you can't count the uh charitable service work that you're doing through cheerleading you can't count that towards the hours For your medallion, you have to do medallion charity service. And then whatever you're doing with your uh, cheerleading squad, that doesn't count. And <laughs> they had wonderful young women leaders, and the young women leaders would go, It counts. You can count that, you know? Mm-hmm. But I was such a black and white person that, like you said, <laughs> I was like, This, I'm reading it. It says, You have to do this, this, and this. And I felt like that meant solo, you have to do this group stuff. No, no, no. That's not an individual medallion. That's, a group medallion. And, and that's what kept my boys from even being involved in the scouting program, because I saw these Mm. mothers that were doing the Eagle project for their kids, basically. Yeah. And then these kids were getting Eagles. And I was like, they didn't do that. Their mom (laughs) did that. So I look back now and I think, oh, you, you were just so critical and so (laughs) you know, down to this stupid black and white perfectionism that you prevented even your kids from enjoying, you know, some of the stuff. And so it's like, I get exactly where you're coming from for that. You know, that's amazing.
1: It can be really hard because even though I would say I did a lot of things that were really right, it's hard not to get wrapped up in doing it like exactly as it is, especially when you believe it's for a higher purpose. Um, You think like exactness is key. So I, I totally get that too.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also there's that suffering part, right? Where you have to suffer and you have to like be exhausted for it to count, you know? Yeah. I mean, Uh, I just remember you guys, I remember you and one of your best friends coming to Mutual on on, uh, Wednesday evening, dragging your homework with you. And you're sitting over in the corner trying to do your homework while we're making gingerbread houses out of graham crackers. And I just remember thinking, okay, if this activity is not of more value than graham crackers, these poor kids are busy. And I had so much compassion. And I I remember trying to say, look, every activity has to have a value more than just getting everybody together. Otherwise, let's just get together for pizza on Friday night. And so it's amazing how these, you know, and it kind of correlates, we're making gingerbread houses. The the guys are playing basketball. And for some reason that all counted, but gingerbread yes. houses didn't count. I don't know how that worked out, but <laughs> anyway. Always was
1: a pet peeve of mine
0: too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I loved about your Mormon stories, which you is that you explained that your mom came from a Catholic background, your dad came from a more Methodist background, which gave your family a little bit more freedom to not maybe be one of these fundamental families that had these hardcore rules and you were allowed to kind of be you. So talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, and I wanna clarify, after the Mormon stories, I talked to my mom and she was like, I went to Catholic school, but I wasn't technically raised Catholic. And so there was like this (sighs) weird disconnect of me as a kid always thinking, hearing these stories and being like, I swear. So anyways, so I will clarify. She was involved with Catholic school, but not necessarily the religion. But she did try out a lot of religions. So I think it's kind of the same uh, feel. But honestly, I think it was um, going back to the original question, I think it was really healthy that they were both uh, of different beliefs when they joined the church or when my dad became active in the church because they didn't have years and years of tradition or family members that were kind of looking in and expecting us to be a certain way. So I think they cared a bit more about who we were as children specifically, instead of necessarily like, what is our, what is our family going to think? Cause I think a lot of people with heavy Mormon families that becomes like a whole, whole thing. So I just think that we were able to have more freedom in how we were raised and there wasn't quite, I mean, there were still things obviously, because we were in the church, but right. it was a lot healthier than a lot of my friends' families for sure.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. And I think that's why, again, why I, Connected with your family because I basically grew up Methodist and mm-hmm. um, my parents, I was 12 when my parents joined the church and so they encompassed, they embraced the church, but they also fell back on their own childhoods and so there were a lot of things and I don't know if it's really church related or religious related as much as it was in their case, narcissistically related, but there just wasn't a lot. I mean, we tried family home evening, but the the bottom line was I had one little brother who was eight years younger than I was. And my older brother who joined the church at the time, he was 15. I was 12. A, A year later, he went to live with my biological dad for, so for my, my mom to try to have family home evening with, uh, you know, a 16-year-old and an eight-year-old is like, this isn't working. Uh, this, this isn't yeah. we you know? <laughs> And so we did, I didn't have that. Um, my seminary was very kind of up and down because when we lived in Illinois, um, I had to drive 45 minutes to get to the church every morning, or they tried having it in the basement of our home at one point. Um, so I did it more for social reasons re- than, you know, religious reasons. And so that wasn't, you know, it just wasn't the same as if you'd been raised in the bubble where so many of the church's auxiliaries are just ingrained in every little cell of your life. So I think we connect, I connected (laughs) with your family for that same reason is, you know, your parents were like, hey, we're, we're, we're doing our best. And these guys are all individual people and we're going to try to teach them core values. And here we go. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think that they had experiences, you know, growing up without the church. So I think they knew kids will be kids and like they'll survive these things. And it's probably better that they have these experiences where they learn on their own than us just forcing them to make decisions. So I think it was much healthier.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. So what I felt, what I got out of your Mormon stories was a lot of shame, not necessarily brought on by other people directly like no one pointed their finger and said shame on you Chandler you should be ashamed of yourself you know you're not living up to our family's expectations nobody did that but it was a subconscious feeling that you took on that took you after you graduated from high school took you to your college experience so talk a little bit about that Mm -hmm. where you think that came from
1: yeah honestly I think it started out pretty young for me I mean I think being a middle child is such a specific, unique experience. Um, I think that I always just wanted to be good because as kids, you know, my, my younger brother had a lot more needs and my older sister had a bit more needs. She was just a bit louder and more rambunctious. So I already from just the get go was proud of being just the good kid that wasn't as much work for my parents. Um, and so doing good was an instant uh, positive in my life. And so then you think about going to church as a young kid and it just kind of starts and just like, you know, oh, Jesus died for you and, you know, he died for your sins. So every time you're sinning, you're, you're making him hurt more. And I remember that just impressed me so much as a kid of just like, why I can't do that. I don't want to do that. And I told this story on Mormon Stories and it was such a, it's such a silly thing, but it, it just like instantly impressed me as a kid that like, this is all very real was we were visiting my mom's family in Ohio, and there was this gumball machine that you needed to have like a penny or a coin to use. And my aunt or someone had a big jar of just pennies in their trailer. So I was like, everyone was taking them, and I was like, I'm gonna take one too, and got my gumball, didn't think twice about it. And then the next week in church, the lesson in primary was about stealing. And one of the phrases (laughs) they used was, stealing is stealing even a penny. And I, like my little primary brain was just so overwhelmed by that. I was like, okay, this is all real, like 100%. Um, So I was locked in, I think, at a very young, young age. And then, and because of that, I think you're just very naive, you believe what everyone tells you. So as I got older and older, that just, that's a pattern that just kind of continued. Um, And it just gets, it's like, you know, it snowballs as you get older, because more is added on, there's more expected of you, there's you know, sexual purity stuff that's added on to you. There's, um, you know, not partying, not, not doing all the things. There's a very specific path for you and anything outside of that is bad. And mm-hmm. so being someone to looking back now, I know that I've had OCD my entire life. You combine that with church stuff as well. Okay. And it is really brutal. <laughs> it's,
0: you exactly. get very,
1: you know, fixated on things and you're always making sure you're doing the right thing. And I remember being in high school, having nightmares that I had smoked for the first time or that I had drank alcohol or whatever you name it and I would wake up just like in in a panic attack anxiety because I thought I had really done the thing and things like that scared me so much I was just so obsessed with being good I just wanted to be good for the people around me I wanted to be an example to the people around me and for Jesus like that was God and Jesus was like the big thing and so and I think it felt good because I fit the aesthetic and the look of like the good mormon girl i was blonde i white i have all these <laughs> these characteristics that that's that's the mormon girl and so i think it felt good going to a place from you know again being the middle child who was very quiet and just tried to lay low and then going to a place where i got a lot of attention for being good mm-hmm. and so it just it just continued on and on and you know you can imagine all the experiences and i talked about some of it on mormon stories but it's just, it followed me in every single thing that I did. And guilt just always followed me. And and then again, going out to college and being in such a different world than, you know, I was used to out in the Pacific Northwest. It's a very different vibe than Rexburg, Idaho. And I go here thinking I'm this great, well-behaved, good girl. And I was, uh, but going there where the bar is just so much higher. And I was like, wow, I really have to step it up and like ramp it up in order to be good. So it's been a, it's, you know, interesting journey.
0: That's amazing. You know, I didn't realize, I just assumed that all of the church schools basically had like the church itself, there's headquarters, right? You get a handbook from headquarters. We watch general conference from headquarters. I assumed that mm-hmm. all of the schools that were owned by the church, there was a directive that came from headquarters and that they were all the same. It's just that one was in Idaho, okay. one was in Hawaii, one was in Provo. And so we went to a ori- an orientation for our son when he was entering into BYU Provo and they were talking about um, the different standards at Rexburg. And I remember going, what are you talking about? What do you mean different standards? <laughs> and this one mother was just irate because she had just bought her daughter all of these mm-hmm. clothes to take to college. And they got mm-hmm. there and found out that capris were not allowed. Yes. And I was like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? You know. <laughs> and so I, that's when I first found out that, I mean, you went to like, you went to the orthodox fundamental hardcore BYU so yeah I mean were you the same way were you like what I've never I've tried not to you know I've tried to wear modest clothing my whole life but now I have to wear a burqa, <laughs> you know practically yeah. I mean it's like what yeah. now was Bedgar yeah. there when you were there who no said? he wasn't it, it okay. was uh
1: I'm trying to think of his name now and I should know this off the top
0: of my head uh Clark yeah, cares? Pre- okay. it was President
1: Clark mm-hmm. okay
0: I can't imagine going to school with Bednar anywhere near that school. I mean, that would oh my been, gosh! I'm surprised they didn't have on Nazi uniforms. I mean, it was just, honestly, horrible. but yeah. um, so talk a little bit about, now, did you meet your first husband at BYU-Idaho?
1: Surprisingly, no, I actually met him once I moved to Utah. So I didn't, yeah. uh, I didn't meet either of them out there, which is kind of shocking. Um, yeah. The, the, the bar for like meeting men and dating in Rexburg, Idaho was pretty awful.
0: <laughs> no. It was, Tell us it about that.
1: Awful.
0: Like there was a so list. Many,
1: oh, there, there was just so many weird like I it was. So I, I went on dates regularly with a few different guys who like one of their conversation points was, I would need to marry someone who if polygamy was reintroduced would be like, okay with it. And I remember what? Being, like, what? Mm,
0: did that come yeah, up in family yeah. home evening? How was that discussed? <laughs> I did, it was just like
1: casually on dates. Like I remember being on an ice cream date with a guy when we just came up and it was just like, okay. And uh, the the oh. amount of guys that tell you they know they're going to marry you on your first oh. date is just very bizarre. Um, I mean, I, I went out with a certain guy that I remember being like, I've always felt like I'm supposed to do something really important in my life. I just don't know what it is yet. And he was like, it's being a mom you know and they and they think that's such a compliment and I remember dating this one guy and we were reading a passage from a a talk or something and in the talk it says I think it's Uchtdorf but maybe Kristofferson they say like if you if the perfect perfect person existed like why would they be interested in you so like you need to lower your standards the perfect person doesn't exist (laughs) and he basically was like basically this guy that I was saying was like uh like I feel like I'm pretty close to perfect and like, that's not true. Like whatever. And he basically just like, was like, I think I'm perfect and like women are lucky to be with me. And I was
0: just, okay. Like it was just this. He was lowering his standards to be with you. Like I just wanted to know that I'm willing to follow president Uchtdorf and lower my standards because you know, you kind of need a date. Yeah. It
1: was, (laughs) it was very bizarre. And the same guy, I remember he, had like a sit down conversation with me, like maybe a couple weeks into seeing each other. And he was like, you know, I'm really concerned about if you ever met my family because your Facebook pictures are very inappropriate. And it was literally me and a tankini that covered my entire body basically with maybe like this much of midriff. And I was with my friends in the picture and he was like, my mom would just be so oh. upset if she saw these pictures. And I think you need to really think about like these decisions. And what's crazy is like, in my head, I was so angry when he said it, like, I was like, how dare he say this? And then after he left, I was like, he's right, like, I need to, I need to do better. And so I remember changing the pictures. And (gasps) so I think that's, like, was a really bad turning point in my experience, too, um, with, like, Mormonism and dating and just, uh, just not honoring my own needs and myself, because I just would always, I think my problem that I was too open to criticism, like, I wanted to be so humble that I was always assuming everyone knows more than me, I'm always going to be wrong. And so when someone would tell me something, especially a, a boy, a man, a priesthood holder, I would just have to say like, Oh, well, they have more authority than me, they know more than me, I need to be better about this. And so I think it was, it was definitely a turning point in my experience.
0: Wow, that that, yeah. you know, I, I think that's so amazing. Um, you know, when President Oaks, just gave his infamous one of his infamous talks, uh, all of his talks are infamous in a negative way, uh, but uh, how Jesus did not say that he wanted diversity in this church. He wants us all to be mm-hmm. one. And and it's so interesting to me that we are so individual. Like I, I was able for some reason to look at, like I remember at 16, we're still living in Illinois and uh, there was this really cute guy. I wish I could remember his name. And I kind of wanted to date him, but he just came right out and told me that he couldn't date me because I dyed my hair. And mm-hmm. uh, his mother said, you know, you, you don't want to date her. She's she dyed her hair. And I was like, OK, oh. all right. Well, mm-hmm. okay. but I don't remember. Th- I, I don't remember associating that with the church. I've always been mm-hmm. able to kind of separate it from. Well, she's crazy. And I didn't I didn't understand the indoctrination that was making these comments you know when people say it's not the church the people are good it's you know or the church is good it's the people it's like where do you you know we all understand now that this all comes from indoctrination and you know that's like saying you know well the nazis weren't bad it was you know it's like well they followed the rules okay they followed the rules and they followed the doctrine that they were taught so that is but that's my personality and that's why i was so Mm -hmm. easily able to separate where you internalize this as this is me. I'm bad. I'm, yeah. I'm doing bad things. I'm not following the rules. And that mm-hmm. I, I just find that amazing and scary. I find that scary yeah. because there are so many wonderful vulnerable as we as we talked about people who just want to be kind and good. And they're constantly being told you're not good enough. That's how they yeah. internalize it, you know? Yep. So give me the timeline cuz I can't remember. Give me the timeline. You graduated from high school, you went to mm-hmm. BYU Idaho, and then at what point did you decide, well, I I'm going to go on a mission because I feel like I need to. So tell me how, give me that yeah. timeline.
1: Yeah, so it was about my I want to say my third year maybe at BYU Idaho.
0: Mm-hmm. Um Are and stuck funny it with enough it a long time?
1: Yeah, I came home early the first year. There was some stuff, but it was, you know,
0: that so anyways,
1: but I funny enough, it was the same guy with the tankini story who we were dating at the time. And he was just like, I don't think I want to date you unless you've gone on a mission. And I was just like, and this was kind of after the age change had happened too. Yeah, I had never considered going on a mission. It was just Mm -hmm. not that was not for me. Um, but he said that. And again, I was like super angry about it. And I was like, well, I don't want to be with you anyways. And then I started to think about it a lot and not just to date him, but I was like, I felt really guilty. Cause again, I was like, Jesus did all this stuff for me and I can't even give like a year and a half of my life to go on a mission. And I started to just be like, oh, I am so ungrateful and I'm the worst. And so it was just mostly like a guilt thing. And then I also just felt like I could help people if I was to go out there. So it was, uh, it was mostly that was what made the decision. And so I was just kind of like, all right, this is what we're going to do. And it all happened really, really fast. I mean, I put in my papers so quickly. Even the call that I got, and we, to this day, I still don't know what got messed up. But the call to like show up to the MTC was mid-semester for me. It would have been mid-semester. So I had to like leave early that semester as well. And I don't know what happened with that. Because I definitely put in all the right dates and stuff. Um, so it all just getting in doubt and all that happened, like within a couple of months, it was a whirlwind, but I, the, the process to the interviews to get your mission call, you know, that was pretty awful because I loved my Bishop in Rexburg, Idaho. Actually, I think he's just, he was the sweetest. Um, but our stake president was known for being intense and I had, you know, had friends that had experiences with him, but I kind of was like, I'll be fine. Um, And then I go in there and I didn't realize that so many stake presidents make you reconfess everything that you've already Mm -hmm. been forgiven of um, to pass that meeting. And I kept telling him that I didn't have anything to tell him because I was like, I've been forgiven of this stuff. And he kept saying, are you sure? Are you sure? And he kept asking me, are you Mm -hmm. sure you feel like you can go on a mission? Like, are you Mm -hmm. sure? And it made me just think like, is there something he knows that I don't like, Mm -hmm. I'm not able to do this. And, I just felt all these kinds of ways about it. And so afterwards, I remember just like crying so hard and going home to my apartment and all my roommates and their boyfriends and whoever was there was like, I don't think I don't think that's normal. But I was again, I was like, it must be because he's a state president. But I had such a bad experience with that. So I was like, okay, got through it. And then once the papers were done, I was like, great. And then I was really hoping to speak a language or go foreign. And uh, I got called to. To arcadia california which is very close to where some of my extended family lives so oh, i was like God. kind of bummed about it yeah i mean it's not uh it's not boise idaho and no offense to anyone who in Boise. Yeah. i think boise's great but you know you yeah. want you want to go somewhere cool yeah. and so i was just like all right it is what it is and i just had to kind of put on the i'm still excited face and at the end of the day i still was because i wanted to do the right thing um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of anxiety about it until I was out in the field, weirdly enough. Like I was super excited until then. So,
0: wow. I, okay. Let me ask a question. Did the state president's last name begin with an S or an M?
1: I'm honestly trying to remember, but one of my friends would know and I'll have to ask her, okay. but I, I'm pretty Does- sure it's an S.
0: Okay i'm trying to remember when the new and i think it's when the state got separated that we got a new state president and this state president that was was when we left vancouver and moved to arizona um this state president was uh, kind of you know vancouver's a small town so there's a little bit of dynasty that lives there you know people that are big fish in a little 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 pond um and so there was a little bit of a dynasty thing going on and he, I, I'll, I'll never forget, I'm sitting in sacrament meeting. And, um, and you'll remember, you know, I always have TJ on my on my left, because that's where the wheelchair mm-hmm. space is for on the pews, right? So I've got my grandson to my right, I've got TJ to my left. So for, in order for me to escape, I have to climb over his wheelchair, right? And so this yep. guy comes to the warden starts talking, and he starts over the pulpit just blasting women when you're on vacation and you wear inappropriate clothing or you wear a bikini and you post it on Facebook, what is the message that you are sending out to? And this is in sacrament. And I remember going, oh yeah, I'm not listening to this. And I'm trying to climb over TJ and get (laughs) out of there and wheel him out without being very obvious, you know. And I'm looking around at all of the wonderful women that I know that probably wear a bikini on vacation and they are the most- Mm -hmm temple worthy, Christian, Jesus loving people that you could ever find on this earth. And for him, and Mm -hmm. then, then, and I'm just going to, I mean, I'm not saying who he was, but (laughs) then I want, then because I'm out in the hallway with TJ, I'm, I'm watching him come out and he was going to go in and speak with a bunch of uh, maybe the deacon's quorum or teacher's quorum. He was waiting for Mm -hmm. Sunday school to get out so that he could then go into the classroom and talk with the priesthood boys and so i'm just standing there watching him and i'm watching him as the women would walk by and he would totally do one of these just check them out ah. and down and i was like oh ah. see that explain you have a problem yeah. and yeah. you're call- you're going to yeah. call us out on that i mean that was just yes. but again i have i never i never put that and the church it was always like you're a pervert or you're a weirdo mm. i never thought Oh, because this is the doctrine that you were taught, you know? Okay, so I'm curious. So this boyfriend that sent you on a mission, uh, did he get married while you were on your mission? I mean, what was like this little check mark of, well, she's got to have blonde hair, check, check. She's got to be gorgeous, check, check. Uh, A little uncomfortable with uh, the tankini. I would prefer a burqa, but whatever. And then a mission. So what did he do while you were gone? So
1: his, the things that ended up for him even crazier than you could expect. He uh, dated this other girl for a while and had the same experience, told her the same thing. Like, well, they actually got engaged and their wedding was like three, it was like two or three days before the wedding. And he broke it off with her because he said the same thing. Like he thinks she should serve a mission. They had the wedding like set up and everything. And uh, she went on a mission, came back and they're married now and they have kids. Oh,
0: they are. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well,
1: yeah. I, wa- so, I want a
0: secret investigation into <laughs> that one. <so.
1: laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I can send you, you down that rabbit hole. <laughs>
0: yeah. You, you dodged a bullet there, girlfriend.
1: Yes. So, oh, okay. Gosh. Yes.
0: So you're on a mission. You're like, I can do this. This is great. I can do this. And then what happened?
1: Um. So I wasn't out there very long and I started having just extreme panic attacks, mm-hmm. just like debilitating panic attacks, like multiple times a day. I'm trying to teach a lesson. I'm trying to talk to people on the street, whatever it was. And uh, I could not focus because it was so bad. And you know, when you're at home and you have anxiety, there's things you can do. You can listen to music, you can go for a walk, you can watch a show, whatever it is. Um, yeah. You can call your family. Um, and so I'm out there and it just, it just dawned on me pretty quickly that this is not going to get better, I'd had blessings for it, I had been praying, I'd been doing all the right things, and it just was not improving, and I was like, I'm not going to be an effective missionary if I'm doing this all the time, so very unlike me, where usually I would just push through something and just be like, too bad, Um, in my head, I was like, you know what, I, I think I need to go home, like pretty much immediately, and when I talked to my mission president, you know, I do hear a lot of horror stories with mission presidents. And right. I think being a woman, mine probably was different. I think if I was a male in this situation, they would have pushed back a little bit harder. Um, but my mission president just basically said, if you had cancer, and you were having, you know, things like physical symptoms of cancer, you wouldn't be beating yourself up for having that. So having anxiety, you, you, it's a brain thing, you can't control that either. So like, you should not be so hard on yourself that you cannot do this like it's it's not your fault basically and i would say that was one of my very few very positive experiences with someone um in the in the church like post college because yeah. that made me feel a lot better and i will say when i came home it was really awful i mean i i felt shame obviously because i couldn't do it and it was so quick and there were people in our ward that you know were like what are you doing here and why are you here and and yeah. assuming things and and whatever um and i know that you know when i got home my mom was just so nice about it She, i'm so glad you're here you know is so happy and i think my dad had a bit harder time with it at first because he just didn't really understand that anxiety at the time but very quickly he he got it and he was supportive and stuff um but i think i really quickly was like you know what this is an opportunity to help people with anxiety because I know I'm not the only person here. And so I think I actually got up and whether it was a talk or bore my testimony, uh, about being able to be helpful with anxiety. And that felt like a good turning point as well. Like it kind of gave me like more juice for a while to be positive in the church and find my own way within that. Because so many people came up to me after or days later messaged me that were like, I'm struggling with this too. And I don't know what Uh. to do with it. And I realized, and it was, you know, primarily women, Right. And so I'm like, man, this is, this is a thing. So I felt like I had purpose um, after coming back from my mission, because I was like, all right, this is my mission. Like it's to help comfort people with anxiety. And I think being empathetic is ultimately the thing that leads you out. Right. So I think that was like the, the start of the end essentially, but in like a way that you can't see when you're in the middle of it.
0: Wow. That's amazing. I love that you just said that being able to help other people and understanding that you're not doing this alone and, and having that empathy mm-hmm. might be the beginning of you recognizing, wait, something's off here. I love that you just yeah. kind of explained that. Uh, I, I, you know, I, There's another book that I read and I can't remember what it is right now, but she definitely was talking in this book about how most religions are made for extroverts. They're not made for mm-hmm. introverts. And totally. I can't, you know, and, and I know I'm the kind of personality, here I am, I have a podcast. I'm also all alone in my room, right? Um, and so I come across as more of an extrovert, but really I'm kind of a, an introvert. And the idea of having to live with someone that I don't know, um, and then having that person change out every six months or however soon they do a companion change, Uh, moving to a new community, moving into, I I don't mind moving into different wards as a family, but as a young missionary where you're expected to go to dinner at other people's homes, eat their food. uh, Mm -hmm. I I would have done the exact (laughs) same thing. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I, so I admire you so much for recognizing that this isn't good for me. I, I have to handle this. I'm, you recognize your anxiety and you recognize that self-care Is what you needed to do that it's that's amazing that's amazing that's what i'm talking about when i'm talking about your (laughs) your self-compassion that you have that is just kind of you recognize this and you're like i need to help me right now so that's yeah no it's it's
1: funny looking back right again you you don't have the words for what you're experiencing at the time but i look back on my mission and all those things are true like i you're you're doing all these things because I consider myself the same. I think I'm mostly an introvert, but I seem like an extrovert because I'm you know I'm on TikTok. I'm always doing these things, and so I, right. I think I come across the same as you. Um, yeah. But yeah, being put in all these situations that are so uncertain all the time, and you're taught that um, God is going to impress upon you the things that you need to say and do, and and you know He doesn't. That those things right. don't happen. So you're always kind of blank, and you're like, what am I doing wrong? And also, I think you just meet so many lovely, wonderful people out there, and it feels it feels one, it feels wrong to tell them as a child, like a 20-year-old, a you know, an adult, here's what you need right. to do with your life when you have yeah. so little experience. But also you meet these lovely, wonderful people who it just doesn't feel right to push them into something that they don't need. Like they're they're doing fine, they're happy, they're doing service, they're they're lovely people, or they might be mentally unstable and and then you don't feel right pushing them into this thing either, because you're like, they need, they need serious help. And so right. I just think that I was experiencing these things without knowing how to verbalize that like this, this is not right. So yes, all these things created so much stress and anxiety, but uh, coming out of it was, was a healthy choice.
0: <laughs> it's so, so I'm so glad that you did that. So that's when you decided, well, I'm going to try Utah. Instead of yes. Idaho, so you <laughs> yep. went to yep. BYU Provo from there. Is that correct?
1: So actually, no, I didn't even finish my degree at BYU Idaho. I just I had a fashion blog at the time, which for oh, that era great. was like a big deal, yeah. right? And yeah. no one was doing it really in Rexburg at the time, so I was kind of the person, which was super surreal. Um, And so Utah was just like the Mecca for bloggers and fashion, you know, the whole thing. Um, And so I had friends out there and it was just like, I'm tired of Rexburg, Idaho. This seems like just the next thing to do. And I was like, all right, I just up and decided to go there. And I was planning on initially um, continuing education actually at uh, UBU at one point, but I just started working and nannying so fast that I didn't quite ever do it and now I'm in a great place. So it's it's totally fine. But yeah, I was just out there working and blogging pretty much.
0: So talk about talk about your modesty blog because I remember following Mm -hmm. you and I just remember thinking this girl is amazing. And first of all, she's gorgeous. So she probably could put on a paper bag and go, isn't this cute? We've all be going, yeah, I love it. You know, but so talk about that because you did really well. That was a a very successful thing for you. So talk about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it was great. It kind of, I honestly, I just stumbled into it. I don't even remember like starting the blog, but I do remember just having the thought of like, oh, eventually I'm going to have to wear garments. And I knew I wasn't going to like that. And so I was like, again, how can I help other people not feel like, oh, they're alone and hate this thing? Because for me, it was like, I'm going to spend all my time hating this thing, like focusing on that (laughs) instead of the thing I'm supposed (laughs) to be doing, like my covenants and all this. So I was like, I got to find a way to make it cute because- I just never really aligned with, and I'm sure you can relate to this, like traditional Mormon fashion. It was just not for me. So I was just, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Fashion blogs were kind of taking off. So I took my own spin on it. And, you know, I was doing an outfit, maybe a couple outfits a week. um, And it was a combination of thrifting and like new stuff. And I got to a point where I was getting featured a lot and people were sending me stuff and I was doing a lot of collaborations. So it was really fun. It really was um but funny enough when i got to utah was where it kind of took a turn as well because i you know started to meet all these girls who were doing it that i'd followed and realized it was just like not what i thought it was like these uh-huh. people were not the kind and and there were a lot of great ones but there were a lot right. of people that were just not the people i thought and they were kind of just like selling out and doing it for different reasons than i and so it kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit and also because I lost myself a little in it. Like once I got out there, I felt like I had to have a certain at certain Utah blogger look to, to gain traction. And so I was dressing in ways and doing collaborations with people that I probably wouldn't have naturally, but I wanted to grow and I wanted to, you know, be yeah. a big blogger. And so it was really an interesting learning experience because as I grew out of that and got back into the styles that I would actually choose and I would want, I did much better with those, but, um, right. but it was really fun. Honestly, it was, super surreal to have people recognizing me like in the grocery store and stuff in Utah um, early on when I was there because again I'm kind of an extrovert or an introvert and uh, when people meet me I feel like like not as cool as they're making me out to be so I just feel kind of like embarrassed and I'm sure they were like this girl's so weird uh, but anyways it, 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 <laughs> so a it was quite
0: complex <laughs> It's like, yes. I know, I'm not a blogger, really. It's a fake. Yeah. You know, yeah. To, totally downgrading yes. yourself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was, it was a whole thing, but I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, but when I left the church was definitely when it kind of like stopped because there was such fallout from people who followed me and were super upset about the changes. So
0: that's so see yeah. if you could have just <laughs> stuck it out to where when Target started carrying their their pioneer clothing a couple of years ago, you oh. you know, if you just could have stuck it out to the pioneer era. It would have been great. <laughs> yeah, it, it just was built right there for all the Mormons in the world. It's like Target did a survey and said, can we find a demographic that will wear pioneer clothing? And then they you know <laughs> put it into their stores. And I, I mean, I love yes. Target, but for the last two years, I just kind of oh. walked through and go, what is happening? What is? Did, have you watched same. the banner of heaven? Do you not see the similarity between <laughs> clothing here? You know, and Spot then and also yes. the Lularou. Lula I remember when Lularou came in. I didn't oh. know. I didn't even know what this was, but I remember sitting in church going, mm-hmm. "Why do all these people have the same dress on? Where are they getting? Where?" The, I didn't see that at Costco. Because hey, I you yep. know I buy a thing at Costco now and then, but I was like, uh-huh. "Do they sell that at Costco?" It's the same dress, but it has a different pattern. But it was garment you know, approved. And so it was like, oh my gosh, people. So blogs like yours was so needed. It's like, can we get out of this, those stores and guess what? You can find something at Nordstrom's or, or, you know, go behind the target pioneer clothes and then you'll find a skirt or something. Yeah. So yeah. Interesting. So when did you meet your first husband?
1: So I met him about like four or five months after I moved to Utah. Um, And it was kind of interesting how it happened. Like I was with my friend, the best, my best friend the night before she was getting married. So we were like having a sleepover and uh, we were just talking and I was on my Instagram and some guy had liked my picture and I was like, oh, he's kind of cute. So I went back and liked his picture and said, you're cute or something. And he replied better in person. And I was like, (laughs) okay. And, you know, he was a silly, (laughs) silly guy. And so we met like very shortly after that and uh, yeah, I we did it, you know, maybe seven months or so before we got engaged. So like longer than the traditional, uh, yeah. you know, but still not super long. Uh, right. But yeah, he, and to this day, I still think the world of uh, my first husband, he was, he was a great person. Like it was yeah. just, we were too young, you know, and yeah. I still, you know, feel sad about it sometimes because I'm like, man, maybe if I had met you later in my life, things could have been different. Uh, but it was just, we were so young and I knew there were so many experiences that I had yet to have on on my own because my worth had always been tied to a man in some way, you know, like you, you literally start your life, you know, you get your blessings from males and, and, and there's God and there's all these male figures and everything is tied to that. And I knew. I just needed to have more experiences on my own and it had very little to do if nothing to do with him as a person. He was great. I just felt like, you know, we're friends and I, I need to go do this thing. And I, uh, yeah, it was just, and we left the church, you know, pretty, pretty closely at the same time, even Uh he left a little bit after I did. um, So it wasn't, you know, you kind of think sometimes, Oh, if we both leave the church, it'll fix all of our problems or whatever. Right. And uh, in this case, I just knew, nope. It was just, I, I just needed to go do my own thing.
0: Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So while you were married, did you both start to go down the rabbit hole of truths that you were finding in the church together? And then you left first and then separated and then he left or what's the timeline on that one?
1: So I was the one who started. So right before we got married, two of my really good friends, um, Sam Shelley and uh, Tanner Gilliland, they both left the church and they were like, the gold standard in my eyes of, like, Mormons, good Mormons, and when they left the church, it really shook me really close to before Jake and I got married, or my ex-husband and I got married, and it really put me down a rabbit hole again, and then I checked out the CES letter because Mm -hmm. they had read it, and they recommended it, and that obviously sent me down a spiral, Um, but I doubled down and was like, this is going to be fine. And so I was having all these questions right before we got married. So as we're getting sealed in the temple, I'm already kind of like, I don't, I don't know how to feel about this, but I've got to just like push forward. Right. And so pretty much the beginning of our marriage, I'm having all these questions, all these issues, but it was, you know, this was eight, nine years ago now. So like, it was not like it is now where you have a lot of options of who you can talk to and where you can go. You can, you have TikTok, Right. right? Um, right. I had one group chat with those people from college who had left and that was all all the people that I could talk to. Right. Um, so I would talk to them and I would just, I was super alone, but I didn't want to at the time tell my husband because I was like, well, this is going to, he's going to leave me and all these things. Um, and his family was, he has tons of Mormon lineage. So they're just uh. like, they were his parents when they got sealed, you know, they did it with one of the, the general authorities or something like that. Right. Apostles. right. So they were, you know, crazy intense. And so I think there was just more on the line for him. So I was worried about looking like the girl that ruined their kid and all this stuff. (gasps) So he basically like figured it out at some point because I wasn't telling him anything. And he had seen it on my phone at one point that I had said something and somehow it just brought it up. And one night he just told me that he's feeling the same. And it was, it was really, it was really nice to have those experiences together, um, to finally have someone to share that with and just like helping him through it too as he left. Because again, his family was so into uh, it that it was nice to be there for him too. Um, so that was one of the positive things too. I mean, it's it's never positive leaving the church, it's it's hard. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of what it looked like, which was really interesting.
0: <laughs> well, which I think brings up the point of diversity is you obviously have a critically thinking mind. You're able to look at things and go, huh, I'm going to find out more about that. That doesn't sit right with mm-hmm. me. Something's off here. Yeah. I, I'll, I'm, I'm okay if I find out that it's true or that mm-hmm. there's substance behind it, but I'm also, I need to know that for myself. So the fact that you are a critical thinker is where you're able to go, this is not a good situation for me. It's not that I don't believe that, but I'm going to check this out more. And that's the mm-hmm. difference between an indoctrinated mind who doesn't have the ability or even the self-respect to go, this isn't working for me. This is, this is tearing me apart, you know? So that's amazing. So when you told your family that, how long were you married before you guys separated?
1: Um, a couple of years, so two years. Okay.
0: Okay. And did you have all of the guilt that you would think of as like, oh, the reception and I have that crock pot that the, you know, the Joneses gave me and- (laughs) feel guilty using it now I mean did you have all that stupid Mm -hmm. stuff that you're for sure yeah well you know I mean there's people that stay married for that reason it's like oh my parents paid for this wedding and I I can't leave Mm -hmm. him now I mean I mean which is crazy you know yeah but
1: But it is it is really hard especially in my situation where I was like you know nothing awful has happened like you you know there wasn't like a cheating or like an abuse or anything of that kind like you're just like oh I'm leaving because it's just the right thing for me. And that feels so underwhelming. So you feel anxious to tell people that, especially because, you know, he was very close with my family and they loved him and they all still love him. And so it's just one of those things where you just feel sad. It's, it was just a very sad, unfortunate experience that I did have a lot of um, disappointment, I guess, just with like the church in general, because I was like, I don't think him and I would have gotten married that soon if it wasn't this thing, right. Where you feel like you have to hurry and do it. Like, We could have dated for a long time and avoided this whole situation and so it was just really complicated but i did have that sadness and that guilt for sure of just like i failed like i i couldn't do this thing but i also knew it was the right thing so it it kind of like helped even it out even though it was it was really hard it was really hard telling my family and and they all, you know, were really sad, but they, they supported me, which was really nice.
0: That's amazing. You see, I'm just telling you people, he, she has an amazing family. So, um, I like uh, in, in your Mormon story, you talked about how, when you met your, the, the your second husband, you thought you had an understanding that you both <laughs> were not hundred yeah. percent on board with the church. And yeah. so, and I could see where you would be like, look, I'm, I really like you. And now we're even on the same page. So we're going to start this marriage on the same page. And, but that mm-hmm. kind of didn't work out. So talk about that. No. no,
1: that was, it was, yeah. The second marriage, very different than my first one for sure. Um, yeah. I met him when I was fully separated from the church. He knew that I was involved with, you know, helping people outside of the church when we met Um, and when we met, he basically told me, yeah, like, I, I don't want to get married in the temple. Like, I don't really see myself doing any of that stuff. Like, I don't really align with that stuff anymore. Great. Um, so I was like, okay. And this guy was just very like love bombing in the beginning. Right. Like it was just like making me feel very special. And, you know, you're, you're like my dream girl and all this stuff. And being someone who always had a really low self-esteem, I was just like, oh, this is, this is so cool. And, um, after a few months, I think it was, you know, you're really you're dating and you're really interested. And then it's like, actually, I think I want to start going to church again. And even then I was like, Ooh, I don't I don't really want to do that. But like, I will support you because, you know, I care about you and I'll, I'll go with you occasionally, but it's not going to be easy for me. Uh, and I did. And, you know, it was so hard sitting through that. And I was amazed at how much because this is out in Salem, Utah, that he was growing up. And that's a very intense area. And going out there to church where he was living at the time, I mean, I was amazed at how many talks were just dedicated about people who've left the church. And so you're just sitting there like, how can you not like this? was so uncomfortable. So I go to the bathroom and cry and then come back and then he would be like upset about my reactions. And so it was just this very odd thing. Um, But because the relationship was super unhealthy and he that's a whole thing, um, but as that relationship progressed, it was just like, it would change a little bit at a time. So it would be like, oh, I want to go to church now. Um, actually, I think I do want to get married in the temple now. Oh, actually, yeah. I, you know, so it would just change really, really fast. And oh, I want to be sealed and all these things. And so for me who I thought, oh, I'll never have an issue with the church again. I'm with this person who I'm very, you know, codependent with and, and my brain has this weird uh, like pull to, I'm like, well, I, I got to do anything I can to stay with this person. And I think his relationship definitely mimicked a lot of how the church feels, which was a very unique thing. Um, But it felt like, you know, I had to be good enough. Like I had to prove to my, prove to him that I was worthy of love. And that meant like forgetting what I needed and doing what he wanted. And so I, in my head just kind of like justified it. And I was like, well, I can go back and just help the people who are struggling because I know those people are struggling and someone needs to help them and I'll be that person. So I kind of, Convince myself that that's what I could do, and obviously that doesn't work for very long. um, But I even found myself willing to get married in the temple again to get married to him because there was so much pressure from his family and just him in general. And I was just like, uh, my brain was just in preservation mode, right? So I was like, okay, whatever it is, whatever it is. Um, And not luckily, but COVID happened right around that time, so all the all the temples were closed, so we couldn't get married in the temple. So we ended up being able to. Get married and not have that experience, um, yeah. but that didn't change his expectation of wanting it to be uh, me to be a good Mormon girl and do these things. Um, so it was really, really brutal.
0: and that's amazing. I mean, listening to that when they talk about that um, male toxic- toxicity is harmful to the men as well as you know patriarchy is harmful to men as much as it is women. That's a perfect mm-hmm. example where he didn't even know yeah. who he was. He, mm-hmm. he is a white male that has been taught, you know, from the time that he was 12 years old, that he is a son of God and that he <laughs> will have his own planet someday and will rule nations. And he's looking at this like, oh, if I give this church up, where's my nation? Where's my world? Uh, And and then, and then there's a script that they're taught. And then you will have a wife whose sole purpose is to support you in whatever it is you decide you want to do. And even if you change your mind in five years, you can give that up and go do something else. And your wife will go, sure. I don't mind packing up the house, our seven kids and moving them to Oklahoma. No problem. You know, and that's what they expect. So he didn't even know who he was. And I'm sure that, like you say, going to church, I mean, there's going to be like, she's not a member. She's not active. What do you think about that? Oh, know. yeah. And so he's yes. got to overcome that. So you almost have sympathy for this poor guy who's also playing a role uh, that mm-hmm. benefits him. There's nothing bad about this white male privilege priesthood. There's nothing bad about that for men. I'm sorry. I, I yes. know I've heard other people yeah. say, well, they're they're pressured to you know provide for their family and, and they have to bring in all this income because their wife is going to be a stay-at-home mom. And I'm like, I get that, but I don't know a lot of men who, when they're told, look, somebody's going to wash your clothes, cook your food, take care of your children, yes. you go do you whatever you need to do, you go do you. I don't know a lot of people that aren't like, Hey, that is a, I would like a wife. Thank you very much. You know, exactly. Yes. I do it all. I have a wife, you know? So (laughs) it's, it's, I have a hard time like falling down that, but Mm -hmm. I, I know, I know that it exists and I know that there's truth in it. But, um, again, you are just being pulled the schizophrenic who I need to be. And, and then you're yeah. also indoctrinated, right? You know, you, well, I have to support my husband. Well, my only purpose in life is to be a wife and a mother. And maybe I'm just not accepting that. And I don't know. Maybe I should. I, I so I mean, so now, now you're how old? What 20 about to be
1: 30.
0: Yeah. 29. And,
1: oh, at the time. Yeah. 27. At the time.
0: Yeah, 27. And you're and so you're like, okay, again, when am I gonna learn that, you know, I have to do me. And I'd love to Mm -hmm. find a partner that would love to do us together. Yes. So, so you, but this has got to be a hard decision now because you're going on, you know, you're 27, you're going on number two. So how did that Mm -hmm. tell me how that went? You're like, (laughs) Hey mom, dad, you know? (laughs) Yeah,
1: no. I mean, this was a very interesting situation because, you know, again, this, this marriage was so different than my, my first marriage and this marriage, my second marriage was, Just so extremely unhealthy, but I was doing all this work all the time to convince everyone around me that he was this great guy and that everything was great and I'm happy and whatever it was. And I think that a lot of people around me could sense that something was off, but they were like, "We trust Chandler and we're going to let her do this thing." Um. So I just got to my breaking point within this uh, relationship because it was just a very very dark, unhealthy relationship. And like you said, he didn't know who he was, and he was very very insecure and very very narcissistic and that was very unhealthy for me as a person who's always willing to give 110% of myself at the expense of myself and he was willing sense, to man. take all of that and yeah. i agree with your point 100% mormonism even though he was not following any of the rules he was doing all the things that you're not supposed to do um i think mormonism was a place that he enjoyed because it, it the world revolves around you when you're a mormon man you're a white mormon man and women are second to you and they have to do what you say so I think he found so much happiness in that idea and I was right. not what that was he, he thought I could be and then it wasn't right. um, so it all kind of fell apart when I realized for the first time in my life do I want to have kids I'd never asked myself this question and uh-huh. I'd always just you know assume because when you're growing up an LDS kid especially and even outside of you know religion um, I just think it's always assumed there's no ask there's no question are you gonna have kids um, right. as f- from like baby age you're they're like you're gonna be a mom and and so right. you never ask yourself and I think that is a lot of roles that play in the church but um, so I'm 27 or whatever 28 it's 27 and I'm just like oh my gosh like I I don't know if I want to have kids like I I don't know if I have like the mental capacity for it. I've never connected with the idea of being pregnant. And again, I have OCD and I'm kind of a hypochondriac. So anything that goes wrong with my body, I am, it it just gives me so much anxiety. And I'm like, I just don't know. Like I I have my nieces and I I get to be so involved in their life. And I was like, I think that might be enough for me. And so when I thought about it enough, I was like, all right, I'm gonna tell this to my current husband at the time. It did not go over well, as you can imagine. Like it was, he was not on
0: my list. What are you talking about?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it was so much more like, I just don't know. Like I was like, I don't know if I've ever asked myself and here's where I am. And to him, that was just like, not okay. So he was very upset about that. Very, very, very upset about that. And, you know, very shortly after that, I was just like, there was some stuff going on. I was like, this is not healthy. I am deteriorating. I am losing myself. I need to get out of this. And so when I started to tell my close friends and my family what was really going on in the relationship, um, everyone was pretty uh, positive supporting of me getting out of that. Um, And I, you know, I haven't, I haven't, you know, gotten into all the details with my parents necessarily, like specifics, because it's some of it's pretty dark. And it's like, you don't want to get into that with people who love you, because that's just painful. Um, But even the stuff I did tell them, you know, everyone's been very much okay with it and so even knowing that yep it's the right thing to do um this is not healthy and like i've never once been sad missed him or regretted it since um it is hard getting over that mental stumbling block of this is my second marriage and i'm only you know at the time i was 27 28 um that felt just really embarrassing and now Mm. i understand that it's just silly it's like marriage whatever it's 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 all made up when you really think about everything and it's like if the right person doesn't care um but it it was hard to give it up again when i'm like oh i'm so close like i have a house with this person and i have this little life and it's just not the right person and that was really painful um to deal with yeah it was rough but i'm really glad that again my family was super supportive and my friends were also
0: well and like you say socially and culturally um this idea that you met someone and that you should get married versus I think that we're just going to hang out together or maybe even Mm -hmm. live together for a year. And then you'd be able to recognize the narcissism. Uh, You'd be, you know, recognize the love bombing. You'd recognize these personality traits that were dangerous and Mm -hmm. you don't get, I mean, how many times have I heard podcasts and talks about dating is your best self. Everybody puts on their best self when you're dating and it's not the real you. Nobody knows the real you until after you've, gotten married and there's a commitment and you've lived with somebody for a while. And so, mm-hmm. but this culture that is not in the world any longer, but it's still inside this religion that you get married first and then you figure out who this person is. Or, you know, when I was growing yeah. up, you know, the mentality was, um, you can get along with anybody as long as you're, <laughs> uh, both, you know, thinking the same way. And yes. so, I mean, even a lot of my friends, I, I looked at, I look at the, even then I looked at their marriage and said, Wow, you, he's a jerk. He's he's abusive, and uh, but in our culture, you know, in our era, you just put mm-hmm. up with it because you were told just to put up with it. And oh, there, you know, the same reason why I I met my I mean, like I said, I've never I've never been anyone to put the dots together. But I just remember telling my husband, you know, when we were younger, it's like please explain to me how this guy that's been gone all day at work gets to come home, throw dinner down his throat, and then go over to the church and play basketball all night because he's so <laughs> stressed out. And I'm like, yeah, how come he's not helping put the kids to bed? How come he doesn't yeah. have to help out with the dishes, but that's the mentality uh-huh. and the social structure that the church and other fundamental you know, religions teach these women is that you mm-hmm. have, You know, you have two jobs. There is never a downtime for for mothers or stay at home moms and even, you know, women that are trying to pull down some kind of a career and be a mom. And then oftentimes, like you say, women who are trying to pull down a career, they become even more engrossed. And well, now I have to show I'm a great mom and a great housekeeper and also CEO. And so they get, they double down on their mom stuff. And it's, it's just insane. And the guys are just like, Mm -hmm. Hey, see you later. Got a basketball thing over at the church. And I'm like, (laughs) does anybody else see that? This is not right. You know? Yeah. Um, so culturally, if, like you said, you've already gone through one marriage, if you would not have been inside that culture, you would have said, you know what, we're just going to live together for a couple of years and I'm going to figure you out and we're going to save ourselves a lot of time and money. And, you know, but it's that culture that, you know. And I don't know. Anyway, so that's the sad yeah. part. So now, okay, so now you're going to be 30. Yes. You old lady you. So what are you doing? I know. Tell me about your great life now. That you, What are you doing? You know,
1: honestly, it's it's been a little bit all over the place since then. I mean, it took me, you know, after getting the divorce, you know, I was just having a good time and just enjoying taking things day by day for quite a while. Um, and that was really nice. And honestly, and spending more time with my friends and family that I was unable to for a while. And then weirdly enough, you know, I'm thinking I'm stable, I'm good. And then about a year after I was like, I think just all the, the feelings and like all of the emotions and like all the pain just like hit me so hard. I don't know what it was, but it was like, I had just not processed everything fully. Mm-hmm. Um, because even when I met my second uh, husband, like I had been partially through processing my church experience. So right. that just retangled everything back up. And so once that all kind of hit me, I was like, I need to officially deal with this stuff because it's not, it's, it's, it's not going to go away. Um, So I think the last, you know, year or so, it's just been really heavy into getting into therapy and um, getting into trying things like new things all the time again. So taking a lot of classes, whether it's like pottery classes, or like Pilates classes, or, you know, an oil painting classes, like just trying to Uh, find myself again, I guess, like find myself creatively again, uh, because I feel like I was always a very creative person. And just all the things that I experienced just kind of like pushed it all down, because I was always prioritizing everyone's needs that like, I again, I kind of lost myself. So I think it's just been like, finding the things that I love again, and trying to like meet people in the process while doing those things, um, and having connections with people that are not religiously based, because you know, you have that built in community when you go places, when you're LDS, which is so nice. Um, but now it's like, okay, here's how I can do that as an adult and make friends. And it's been great. I got into, you know, rock climbing several months ago and make so many friends doing that. And so I think it's just been just enjoying life again, like figuring out who I am and just having as many experiences as I can. And I think something that I've enjoyed too, is just, I used to be such like a little, which, you know, surprising maybe, but I was always just like so scared of everything. Like I never liked Mm. to do roller coasters and I never liked to like try new things. Like it just freaked me out because I was so anxious about how it was going to go. And now I just like pushing myself and trying things that I've never done um, that I might have been scared to do previously and realizing that I'm okay. And I think it's been mentally just really healthy to uh continue to grow that way. So it's just been having lots of new experiences and spending time with people I love and also enjoying the relationships with so many friends and family members who now are also outside of the church and just like meeting them as who they really are. It's just been really right. enjoyable.
0: Right. And that's interesting. How how are your relationships with your with your high school people? Um mm-hmm. they have have they accepted your journey or have you had to kind of yeah. cut some relationships off? <laughs>
1: You know, surprisingly, I would say one of my best friends from high school, who who I fully expected to go the worst once I left, um, one of her family members was actually in one of the ex-member groups that I was in early on and outed me to this friend. And I was so embarrassed because I was just, I knew, I thought she was for sure going to be like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And she Mm -hmm. actually handled it really, really well. Um, And this friend and I, we still talk, like occasionally we text, we still send each other different things and Surprisingly, she follows me on TikTok, which I was like, hmm. like she's she's really into the church still, but uh, okay. So I would say she's been honestly pretty cool about it. Um, the family she comes from, I don't know how they feel about it, but I know that she's been pretty surprisingly good. Um, but I would say most of the people from high school and then from the ward is pretty split. Um, mm. Some people I yep no longer talk to, they told me how they felt when they knew that I left, when I posted that I left, and I've never heard from them again. Um, there were some interesting, there were some old young women leaders that I had that reached out when they found out that I left and were pitching it that they wanted to be supportive. But they wanted to know why I left because there was speculation. And there was just a lot of weird discussion with people who I thought I really loved and respected that uh, apparently did not did not uh, like the decision. So it's been really split. Um, but I think the people who have meant the most to me have stuck around and I remember when my, my absolute best friend that I met in college, her name is Catherine. Um, when I finally told her, and I was terrified to tell her cause she's truly just like my best, best friend. And when I finally told her, she said, uh, well, if you're not in the celestial kingdom, I don't want to go there. And I was just like, Oh, and so that was just, that was so meaningful for me. And she since has also left the church and we, our relationship is just like, so, so much better now, even. And, um, Again, several family members. So it's it's just really great getting to, I don't know, it, learn who people are outside of all of that because everyone just yeah. continues to be so amazing and uh, I'm honestly happier. So it's just, it's really yeah.
0: nice. It, it's amazing that the beautiful young women that I had in my beehive and my maid class, they have all grown up to be such diversified women. Mm-hmm. And it's been so fun just watching them choose, They're the generation that somehow found the ability to go, oh yeah, I'm gonna do me and I'm gonna live my best life. And I love that so much about those girls. And I I did find that the people in the wards that we lived in when we lived in Vancouver have been so, most of them so warm and accepting and loving. Uh, The friends that I had had for 20 something years when we lived in Oregon dropped me like a hot potato. And which I think is so funny because we were best friends. So I know all their secrets. And so uh, it's kind of, isn't like, that the best? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you just keep that facade going there, sister, mm-hmm. if that helps you, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, yes. it's, it's no big deal, but it's yeah. uh, well, you're absolutely amazing. And I want to, I want to finish up by reading this quote from Brené Brown, my, my prophetess. Uh, Vulnerability is not about winning. It's not about losing it's having the courage to show up when you can't control the outcome. And I feel like that's exactly what you've done. You, you showed up, you didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but you just knew that I I I can't live this way and I'm going to live my life and be the best Chandler that I can be. And I, I just absolutely love that. And I have so much respect for you. So next time we drag your parents down to Arizona, you're going to have to come with them. <laughs> yes. Yes. I actually
1: think that we're planning on coming for Thanksgiving. So I'll we'll be out there oh, that would yeah. be
0: amazing i we'll you guys you have to yeah you have to know her mother um her mother is the kindest soul ever and when we were in the same ward, um she would often come up to me she'd grab my son who was in a wheelchair severely disabled and should say go you go go to relief society <laughs> i'm going to take him mm-hmm. and um she was a lifesaver for me she was just an angel and that's the way their whole family is so uh, I'm not going to get into that's golf right. because we don't do golf and that's my husband and her father. They do that golf thing and, yep. <laughs> and we love it. So anyway, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining uh, me today and, and yes. all the best for you.
1: Thank and you look so forward much. forward to watching Appreciate the rest it.
0: of your life. Absolutely. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, there you go. Right. I mean, what, what else can you say to be almost 30 years old, but to understand who she is, and to understand even the psychological concepts. Like she recognized the love bombing. She recognized the narcissism. She recognized her inability to be able to be someone else so that this other person could be, fulfill this facade that they had outlined or scripted for their life. I just think that's amazing. And I I see Chandler as an example for other women to be able to stand up, to be able to do hard things, which I think having two marriages in a fundamental religion, uh, to leave a mission, I think those are hard things. But she recognized that in order for her to survive, this is what she had to do. It wasn't all about the system, and she she was bucking the system and doing what she needed to do for her healthy her healthy self. So thank you, Chandler, for joining us today, and I hope all of you enjoyed our interview. Um, we have some fabulous interviews coming up. Uh, I've met the most amazing women in the last couple of weeks and we've got them all lined up to be our future guests. So if you love, she became visible, please like, and subscribe, please donate. You can donate on the, shebecamevisible.org. Uh, the money goes directly into Mormon discussions. It does not go to me. Uh, it is a nonprofit organization that allows um, other podcasters to do what they do and to help, their fellow uh, people deconstruct or learn in any way that they can. So you can find your ability to donate on shebecamevisible.org. And please be willing to donate two, three, four, five dollars a month. Uh, it doesn't matter, but I know that uh, Mormon Discussions would really appreciate that. But definitely like and, and uh subscribe. I also wanted to let you know that we are in the process of switching over my youtube from the go gray dame site into she became visible site so we will be in the process of doing it and i will tell you more about that because we want we don't want to lose our subscribers we want you to move over to the she became visible i actually have two formats and one of them is my go gray dame which is really more of a supportive program for women who are choosing to, again, be themselves, to become visible, let their hair go gray, do whatever they need to do to age gracefully. Uh, So I interview a lot of women that are focusing more on the aging process. And uh, my She Became Visible is more on the deconstruction process. So we're going to try and separate those two. So I'll give you more information about that. In the meantime, have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday at 11 a.m. Bye-bye.